Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Have you ever gone to the shopping centre like Coles or, or whatever and, and when you get there, you have 10 items and 10 items uniquely qualifies you to go through the express aisle at the supermarket, you know what I'm talking about? 12, 12 items or less, and you're allowed to go that express aisle. And right before you get there, somebody beats you to it, right? And around about the 14th item, you look at them and think, what is your problem? <laughs> I have 10 items, you have like 20 or 30 items, and you're like, why, why are you in the express aisle? And I know it might seem like a small thing, but when you're waiting and you're like, this was supposed to happen a lot faster, and it would have if you weren't here, you're just little, little things like that in your day can really irritate you. I don't know how many of you guys do weekly shopping. Maybe you're like, we don't even know what you're talking about, you know? So it's never bothered me before. You just have problems, Pastor Ben. But, but I'll try another one with you. Let's try another one out. Have you got some sick person in your house that puts back an empty packet of biscuits? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like you've been looking at that thing and then at nighttime when you don't want to go out and you grab that packet of biscuits and as you lift it, people are pointing each other out right now. So, so you lift up the packet of biscuits and, and, you're, and, you, and it feels lighter than it should and so you put your hand in it and it's completely empty. You think, what sick people do I live with where they would take an empty packet of biscuits and put it back in the cupboard? Like what's wrong with these people? I'll tell you, I've got a million of these things. I'll give you one from yesterday. Here's one that's a little fresh. Um, so we, we went to, it was my son's basketball game. And so, um, yeah, that's not that exciting, but thank you. And, and, so, and, and so appreciate your support, Shawnee, always do. And so, um, and so we went to the car park and, uh, uh, you, you know, we didn't want to be late. And all the car parks are taken. It's very frustrating, right? And so... Um, I arrived and there were these people standing at the back of a car. Now, I didn't know if they had just arrived or if they were going. You know, you know it's like that middle ground where you don't know, did they just arrive and they're about to walk into the center or have they come out of it and, and they're leaving and I can have their car park. So you know what you do? You know, you put your indicator on and you sit right there. Now, I drive like a two-ton vehicle, you know, it's a, it's, it's a soccer mom car, so it's big, like you can't miss it, right? And, and so here I am in this huge uh, car with my indicator on, and, and I'm looking at them, uh, hoping that they will give me an indicator of whether they're coming or going, right? And these people are just having a chin wag. Like, so what a good time to catch up at the back of your car in, in, in the basketball stadium car park. They're just chatting and all the rest of it. But there's no way that they can miss that I'm parked there, just with my indicator on, patiently waiting, right? And I'll tell you something right now. For those of you that don't have licenses, right, it is etiquette to let people what your intentions are. <laughs> you need to let people know. And, it, and for those of you that don't know, it looks something like this. If you're having a chat, you're putting kids in the car, or there's a, you know, whatever you're doing, if you're going back into the shopping center, you just look at the person that's waiting, and you do a little thing like this. You're like, oh, sorry. I'm going back in, right? And they go, they'll give you the finger, that, the, the right finger. They'll give you the finger wave and they say, thank you for not wasting my time and drive off. Well, let me tell you something. 
after this little chin wag, these people just go straight back in, right? And here I am, and they're making me late. They give me no indication. I wasted time just sitting there, and I thought, where is your courtesy? Like, this is, this is normal stuff that could really irritate you, right? Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, it hasn't happened to me. All right, how about this? Do you have someone in your life that just doesn't know the words to songs? <laughs> and they sing them around you. Well, I don't know how you feel, but my wife does because that's what I do to her. And, and you know, um, after nearly 37 years, I've discovered I just don't know all the words to songs. And so I will sing them wrong. And so, you know, we're driving the other night and I was, you know, amazingly the song, I'm just listening to some Justin Timberlake and I was singing and the song was Say Something, right? And so I'm singing away and I know I'm getting the words wrong and I can feel the heat of her vision boring its way into the side of my face. And I know that I don't have the words right, but I just smile and look at her and I'm, I'm like, I don't care, babe. I, I'm having a great time over here, right? So I, I don't care, I don't care. I'll, I'll sing, I'll sing it how I wanna sing it. I've got better words anyway. So, so, so anyway, um, you know, uh, s- sometimes there's these little things, right? And, and they're meant to be little things, but they become big things and they really annoy you. Well, last week we, dist- we started the series is called Different. And, and my, my point really for the entire series is really this. You're not supposed to be the same as everyone out there in the world. In fact, you know, if you're a Christian, there should be something that's markedly different about you, and it should be easily identifiable. And I think that so often it's easy to identify who we are based on the relationships that we have. And I want to preach a message to you guys tonight called Deal With It. Deal With It. I want to uh, read a scripture to you. It comes out of Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 21 so you know what's happening here at this exact moment. Um, Jesus is preaching the greatest message on planet Earth. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he is uh, touching everything that's sacred and probably annoying a whole heap of people in the process. But he is out to preach a hot word. And so... He begins in verse 21. This is what he says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Murder is actually the sixth commandment that God gave to the Israelites. You know, it's written on the stone tablets that Moses carried down. So it predated the law. But even when the law was come in, they continued to uphold this idea of not murdering. And, you know, I just want you to know, from me to you, we are a Bible-believing church. We also don't believe that murder is a good idea, so we would stand behind that. Verse 22, he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says you fall will be liable to the hell of fire. Well, that seems a little disproportionate based on the other things that we just read. It says in verse 23, so if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. 
Have you ever thought about the effect that anger has on you? I mean, in your body, just physically, did you know it has a really significant impact? Now, I'm not an expert, you know, but I, I watched an interview this week with a neuroscientist who said that there are some things that really make people get mad, that make them get angry. And some of those things are, you know, if you ever feel like you're in a situation where uh, you've been judged unfairly, if there's any sense of inequality, if anything, you're involved in a scenario where something is unjust, but you're the one that's getting the bad end of the stick, then in that moment, that can get you mad. And when you get mad, something happens in your body. In fact, two chemicals are released, testosterone and adrenaline. These two chemicals, they begin to uh, flood your body and something even happens to you in that moment. Did you know that when your body is flooded with these chemicals, it's like your body is getting ready to respond to some event or some threat or or something. And what happens is, is that your blood, it actually starts to flow away from the part of your brain that provides you with rational thinking Hence the term blind rage, because when you get really mad, you can't think straight. And this is like an alarm that goes off in your body. And normally that alarm is going off, telling you to, to be aware there is some sense of fear or pain that's on its way to affect you. Now, I can tell you about the physiological effects of things that happen inside of your body, but I don't have to tell you what it feels like to be angry because I tell you, every single person in this room knows what it feels like to get angry about something. And you're not alone because people have been doing this for thousands of years, just getting angry. In fact, the first recorded instance of anybody getting angry is Adam and Eve's kids. So you know you had Adam and Eve, first two created people on planet Earth. Well, they had kids, Cain and Abel. Well, second generation humans, and I'm not even going to tell you the story, but Cain gets so mad with his brother that he kills him. He just murders him. And he thought that that would fix his problem, but it really didn't solve his issues. And he was marked by that event in every sense of the word. In fact, God put a mark on him and marked him because he had murdered his own brother. And that is not, again, what I would say is we do not embrace that. We still think that that is wrong. It is the sixth commandment that God gave to the Israelites from the stone tablets when Moses came down from the mountain. And in the Old Testament law, this is what it said. It says, murder is a punishable offense and it's punishable by death. Now, when they said that, they created a standard. It's a punishable offense and it's punishable by death. If you break this rule, you are going to die for it. And they created a standard. And in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus begins it this way. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's not doing in this moment, he's not trying to change what they presently believe. 
But what he is trying to do is he's trying to correct the prevailing thought of a culture which says we just need to meet these standards and these standards are good enough to have a relationship with God. And what Jesus is really saying is, is you've understood the rules, but you have missed the point of them. You know how to fulfill the minimum standard and the requirements of the law, but you miss the heart behind why these things were made in the first place. And he starts to speak directly into this topic. Now, I want to tell you that if you're new, this is really encouraging for you. If you're new to church, you don't need to obey a whole heap of rules and regulations to get closer to God. They may have thought that's how you do it. We might call that religion, but I'm telling you, you don't have to do that anymore. And that is good news. And the good news is really, we have another word for good news and we call it the gospel. And the gospel message is simply this. Even though you've made mistakes with your life, Jesus paid a price by dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Now, if you're new to church, I know it can be a little bit confusing, but this is how it works. Even though you presently do things that are wrong, if you believe by faith that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you make that confession with your mouth, then even though you're presently doing things that are wrong, the punishment for what you presently did takes place 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And that is good news And you call this whole thing that I'm talking about, we call it the grace of God. And we are saved by grace. But the presence of grace doesn't mean the absence of a standard. The presence of grace is not the absence of a standard. In other words, what I'm saying to you tonight is that just because the grace of God exists and you know you can be forgiven doesn't mean that you can go out and intentionally do the wrong thing and think you can catch God out on a technicality as if he hasn't figured you out, where you can do the wrong thing and continue to willfully do it and then say to God, well, you know, I gave my life to Jesus and we're all saved by grace and I guess I'll just get away with it. Trust me, you're not getting away with it. He knows where you're at. He knows what your life is like. So, so even though we understand that we're saved by grace, it's not the absence of a standard. And you know, in this passage right here, you know what Jesus is really doing? He's saying, you've heard it said that here is the standard. Do not murder. And then he says, but I'm going to tell you to live above the standard. There is a prevailing thought in the present day culture that Jesus is addressing. And he's saying, you know what? You may have been accustomed to living at the standard that culture and society has set. But I'm calling you to not just aim for normal. To don't just aim for what everyone else is aiming for. Jesus is saying, I am calling you to be different to the culture that you're living in. And I wanted you to set a standard that's so far above what our culture accepts is okay, that you would have to be different. And that difference should stand out. And that difference is seen in your relationships. Now, I'm a, I'm a dad. I have three kids. And um, sometimes our kids, they, they argue. 
And when they argue, uh, we do this thing to help. Uh, it's always reconciliation week in our house. I'll just say that, okay? So this is how this works. Um, you know, you grab one child and you get them and you, you know, first of all, you separate them. And then you say, all right, now I want you to say sorry to, to your brother. And this is how they do it. They go, sorry, sorry, you know. And you're like, okay, that's kind of good. Um, and then you say to the other one, now you say sorry to your brother. And he goes, yep, sorry, sorry, right. Now, nobody's fooled. No one's sorry. You're like, we know that no one is sorry. We're just role playing and we're walking them through what reconciliation looks like. If you want to take this to the next level, and as a parent, we always do. So you just say, all right, now I want you guys to hug it out, all right? And have you ever seen when kids that aren't truly sorry, how they hug it out? Uh, let me show you what it looks like. Cam, come up, come up here for a second, right? So, so Cam's got kids. He knows what I'm talking about. So when you tell kids, right, all right, say sorry, and you know that they're not sorry, you say, hug it out. You're like, come on, hug. They do it like this. You know? And they, come on, put your hands together for Cam. Thank you very much. They will give you the most limp-wristed, sort of, it's like their arm will swing up and maybe touch the other person, you know, and swing back down and they're like, done, I'm done, see, I did it. No one's fooled, right? All that's happening there is they're meeting the standard that you've set on the outside to appease the rules of the house, right? Now, here's what I've learned about Jesus, right? He is not a surface kind of guy. He's not interested in you just meeting the standards on the outside so that everyone else looks at you and says, oh, wow, you've got it together. No, Jesus is far more intentional about this. He wants to deal with the root of the issue. See, sometimes, you know, when we see that stuff, that's just the fruit. But Jesus isn't interested in that kind of fruit. He wants to follow it all the way to the root of the issue. And that's why a conversation that began about murder becomes changed to a conversation around anger. Because what Jesus is really saying is, you've heard that it's wrong to murder. And everyone says, yes, we accept universally that that is true. That is bad. And he says, okay, I'm going to deal with the root of the issue. He says, I'm saying, I don't even want you to get angry. I don't want you to have the wrong kind of anger that's in your heart. He wants to deal with the root of the issue. Um, listen to what Aristotle said about the issue of anger. He said, anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and is not easy. And that's true. It's not easy to do anger really well. Mind you, getting angry is very easy. You've experienced it. It's easy to get angry. And can I just tell you this right now? Getting angry is not necessarily a sin. In fact, we can find times in the Bible when Jesus got angry. So anger not necessarily is not a sin, but it depends what you're angry about. See, if you're really angry about the wrong thing, that could be a sin. That could, that could be wrong. And if you were to act on your anger and express your anger in the wrong way, well, that could absolutely be a sin. 
So being angry is not necessarily bad. It just depends what you're really angry about. And by the way, when it comes to anger, let me tell you this. Don't look for internal confirmation that you should be angry about something. Never check with yourself. Here's something I've learned about anger. It is always justified by the person that's angry. It doesn't... Everyone, whenever you get angry, I've never seen anyone get angry and say, I am just so unreasonable about this. No one says that. When they're angry, of course they feel justified. That's why you need people in your life to help you figure out whether the things that you're mad about are justified or not. That's why you should do things like join a small group or whatever it is and get around people that would be able to speak into your life and say to you, hey, you can't get so mad about this stuff. You need, you need to think better about the stuff that's really making you mad. Here's what the Bible says about anger. It says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin, which makes room for anger to exist and not be a sin. But he says, be angry and do not sin because there's a place where your anger can turn, take a really bad turn there and... This verse finishes this way. It says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Isn't that an interesting connection there between your anger and the opportunity that the devil has in your life? It's like the more angry you get, the more opportunity you hand over to him to ruin your relationships, to wreck the stuff that God might want to do in your life. Give no opportunity to the devil because what could happen is when you get angry is it can start to consume you. And so Jesus looks at the issue of anger and he says, I'll give you three ways that this is going to go down for you. He says, number one, you can get angry. And if you get angry, you'll incur judgment. And that's not news to you. I mean, he's not talking about God coming down and, and judging you in that moment necessarily. In fact, he's saying, you know, if you really get angry, angry at someone, you're going to get immediate judgment, immediate judgment because of your anger. And that would happen instantly around you with whoever is, is around you. And then he says something beyond that. He says, if you insult somebody, you'll be liable to the council. And he's talking about there was a council, like a Jewish council, that you would be a, a, accountable to. And when he says, if you insult somebody, the, the word that he uses there is a word, raka. And it was a swear word. In, in, back in biblical times, it was a swear word. It sounds like one too. Like if you hit your thumb with a hammer and you just went, raka, it sounds like it's something reasonable to come out of your mouth, Right? And, and, and can I tell you what, Raka, you know, some of you, if you needed to say a word, you could probably get away with saying that because no one will know what it means, you know. But I'm not encouraging you to do that. That would be bad pastoral advice. But anyway, um, um, can I tell you what Raka, what it means? It means you blockhead. <laughs> it's like this was the best that they had. I'm like, that's all you got. I'm like, we're so much more creative these days. I mean, you've never called someone a blockhead, but you might have called them someone else, you know? Like, we don't say the word blockhead anymore, but that's what the word means. And he says, if you say, hey, you blockhead, well, you know, the council is going to come down on you. And then he says this, he says, if you say you fool, you are liable to the hell of fire. And, and I thought to myself, that seems so disproportionate. What is the big deal about calling someone 
A fool, it's not the worst F word I've heard. I, I, like, genuinely, you think, fool, is that such a, is that such a bad thing to say to someone? And, and I'm going to tell you why Jesus said this. And when I tell you why, if you learn why Jesus had such a big issue with this, this is going to change the way you do relationships forever. The reason why it was such a big issue is because we don't think about how God thinks about other people. See, it may have never occurred to you, but it is a distinct privilege and honor to be created in the image of God. Did you know that you are a triune being? See, God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and you are body, soul, and spirit, and you are unlike anything else that God has created, the pinnacle of his creation. And I'm not sure if you're aware of the distinct privilege and honor bestowed upon every human being, whether poor or rich, it doesn't matter. Just the fact that you're a human and you exist and you've been created in the image of God is a distinct privilege that you probably don't even think about on a daily basis. And when you call somebody and just have a throwaway word and you call them something out of the motivation of anger, you are insulting the pinnacle of God's creation. And I'm sure that, that is, you've never thought about that. It's like someone cuts you off on the road and you're about to say something and then you go, oh, wait, um, they are created in the image of God. I'll hold my tongue. You have never thought that in your life because it doesn't occur to you the privilege that it is to be made in the image of God, and yet it matters significantly, significantly to God. You are what the Bible would call imago Dei. And I feel like sometimes when we see people do things that make us angry, you know, our anger is not really about the whole person. It's really just about this, maybe an event that happened. You know, it's like a fragment of time, a, a, a small interaction in the big scope that is their life. And, and, and they did something and in this little moment here, it, it made you mad and it made you angry. Sometimes angry enough to hold on to that and bring bad stuff into your own life because of what happened in this small interaction that happened with another person. I want to show you a picture right now. Um, this is... The angriest person I could find. You can tell he's angry because all of his veins are popping out of his neck. And I want to I give you a little story here. And uh, I want you to just look at this. And I want you to imagine that this thing is happening. I want you to imagine that you're driving down the road one day. And uh, this person... Um, they are driving and they're driving next to you, right? And then they just cut you off and there's, there's you know, this interaction through the windows and they basically sort of almost run you off the road and before you know it, there you are and you're stopped on the side of the road. And this man gets out of his car and he starts walking towards you. Now, what is happening at this very moment? I'll tell you what's happening. 
Two chemicals are presently being released into your body, testosterone and adrenaline, and you are getting ready for either, you know, uh, fight or, or flight, you know? You don't know what's going to happen, but your body is setting off all the kind of alarms because you don't know if this going to be a physical altercation. You have no idea, but your rational thinking is no longer applying right now, and your hands begin to get shaky because you're starting to get worried about the next thing that's about to happen, right? And this man comes to your window, and you just stay in the car, you know, lock the door, right? And he starts yelling through your window and he's just so mad and, and you're experiencing something that we'd probably call fear, but, but trust me, anger is about to follow. And all of this rises up in you in, in, in this one moment. But all you're seeing is this small, limited, fragment of interaction with a person that takes place in just, you know, just minutes. You don't see the whole picture. You're just seeing this. This is, this is all you get. So what I want to do now is I want to give you the background to this angry looking guy here so that maybe you can understand the whole person, not just this little section of time. So what you don't know is that this man is actually just on his way home from the hospital. And in his car is his four-year-old daughter. And he just found out that she has six months to live. And it's incurable. And he doesn't know what he's going to do. And he feels total hopelessness. And he's driving home at this very moment in his life. And his wife, she works a double shift because money is hard to come by. And he went out of work, you know, four weeks ago. So he was available during the day to take his daughter to the, to the hospital. And as he's driving home, he's just wondering how he's going to look at his wife and tell her their daughter that they love so much that's four years old, in six months, she's going to die. And there's not a thing they can do about it. He's trying to find the words in this moment to tell her siblings, his other children, that they have six months to spend with this precious person that they love so dearly, and in six months she's going to die, and they're just going to have to watch it unfold. You feel different about this person now? You should. That feeling that you get as I'm telling you that story it's called compassion. And nothing has changed about the circumstance. The only difference is now you see the whole person. And you see how when you see the whole person, and you just don't take this little fragment of time and, and, and get worked up about it, it, it makes you respond and, and react differently. You know, a couple years ago, Sarah and I, we were over in New Zealand, and we had decided to go out for this nice dinner at an expensive restaurant in Auckland. And while we were there, um, you know, we, we were lining up, waiting to be served for such a long time. And eventually, this uh, waitress comes over, and she comes to, to get us, and uh, we said, just a table for two, and she, she kind of looks at me, and she says, follow me. Right, and as we're coming, we're like, we're we're like, okay, you know, like we're she's walking off, you know, 
And so we follow her and our table is here and we're walking behind her and she puts the menus on the table and she just walks off. <laughs> you know, and I thought, this is the worst customer service I have ever seen. Like, I don't mind telling you, this girl was rubbish. You know, she was terrible. And as she's doing this, I'm, I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, you were so bad at your job. I've never worked in hospitality, but I'm like, I could nail this job and you are so bad at it. What's worse, someone's actually paying you to do this, right? So we have to get a hold of this girl's attention. I just want to, I just want a glass of water. I had to set off a flare just to get this girl's attention, you know? And so we're like, hey, you know, we're over here. We're still hungry, you know? And so she, eventually we get her attention and she comes over and she takes our orders. And before we can really even finish what we wanted, she just kind of walked off again. And in that moment, I start to get kind of annoyed, you know, I'll tell you why, because I'm thinking, right, I'm paying top dollar. This is not the kind of service that I expect at a restaurant like this. She should be doing a much better job. And I start critiquing her in my head. You are so rubbish at this job. And you know, before I can really even get that thought off the ground, the Holy Spirit comes and, and speaks to me and he says, hey, before you finish that thought, have you ever considered why she might be acting like that in the first place? Like she's actually paid to be there. And you know when people hate their jobs, when you're paid to do it, you can, you can pretend that you like it, you know? It's like everyone knows it's part of your job. To, even when you hate it, you have to pretend that you enjoy it while you're there, you know? And this girl is so low that she can't even fake it anymore. Whatever is going on in her heart is bleeding through in this fragment of interaction that I have with her. And so I thought, I'm thinking about this wrong. And, and you know what the Holy Spirit says to me? He says, you're not here for this. Have you considered that you might be here in this interaction for a completely different purpose? I started to think differently. And our situation hadn't changed. Everything was the same. But the way I looked at it was different. And I thought, what if I started to really encourage this girl? And what if God wanted to actually do something through me? I realized that, you know, if I'm just going to get mad and angry about it, I'm not going to be listening to him. I'm just listening to me. No rational thoughts are coming through my brain in this moment. I can start to encourage this girl. What if the reason why I'm there in the first place is to actually help her instead of speaking out something against her? And I realized something about about anger is that every time you get angry at somebody, did you know that you're passing judgment? You are because you are justifying the reason for your anger and you're passing judgment. And, and I'll tell you why I'm saying this tonight is that you should know that God judges how you judge other people. He judges you on how you judge other people. In fact, you know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 14, he says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I thought, that's so serious. Have you ever read that before? I mean, if you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus means what he says, then you need to really pay attention 
to that little line of scripture because it could have significant impact and, and effect on your life. And let me tell you what this is not meaning. What this does not mean is that if you don't forgive somebody that you're going to hell because didn't we just say before that grace covers your sins? So, so if all of your sins are covered, what is Jesus really trying to say in that scripture? I'll tell you what he's saying. He's saying technically, yeah, your sins are forgiven. And sure, you might, you know, you're going to go to heaven because you believe that Jesus died for your sins. But you should know that relationally, you are so distant from God. You are so far from him in this moment. He's saying that when you get really angry and you, you hold unforgiveness in your heart towards other people, it puts you so far from God. And, and, and you know what? You know what I think about this? If you take into consideration the grand scheme of life, I'm telling you this, 200 years from now, every single one of us will have met our maker. And my point is, is that we are all on our way to judgment. Isn't that what the passage is really about? Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Isn't it about you being on your way to judgment? 200 years from now, you'll have already met your maker. My point is we're all on our way to judgment, but you get to decide how and what for. This situation is not out of your hands. You get to decide how you're going to be judged and you get to decide what you're going to be judged on. And my point is simply this, you better deal with your anger before it deals with you. Because anger is a pathway in your life that will narrow your future and destroy your relationship with God, not to mention your relationships with other people around you. Years ago, before I worked as a pastor, I worked in recruitment and there was this one girl that started. I was already there before she started. And I remember on her first day, she came into work And as she was walking past my desk, she said, oh, is your name Ben? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, and are you a Christian? And I said, yes. Why is that news here? You know, why, when somebody told you that, you just started. What is this? Is this on the induction? Like, I don't know why that's a topic. But she looks at me, she goes, yeah, well, I'm a Muslim. And I said, well, congratulations. What are you looking for here? But from that moment, she didn't like me. And, uh, and so one day, she was doing her job, and she did a really bad job of doing her job. And so I decided to call her on it because it affected my job. And I said to her, I said, hey, listen, I need you to know that you didn't do your job very well back then. You want to talk about poking the bear. This thing lit up like a Christmas tree. Like she just erupted, right? And you know, good fights are like a warm fire. Everyone wants to gather around. So, so we had 30, 30, maybe 30 people in the office that saw this thing begin to unfold. And it was like spectators, you know, we could have charged admission for this thing. So, so they, everyone's gathering around and this girl is losing it, right? And so after five minutes, I very calmly said to her, you know, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but the fact remains, you did not do your job properly. And if you had have done it, we wouldn't be here right now. Well, she erupted again, another five minutes, you know, fireworks, she's mad and all the rest of it. We got to the end and I just repeated the same thing. I said, I hear what you're saying, but uh, 
you still didn't do your job properly. And if you had it, we wouldn't be here right now. That's it. She's off again. This thing went on for about 20 minutes. It was amazing, you know. And the next day, the big boss comes into work and she says to me, can I see you immediately this morning? I said, yes. I went into her office. I knew what it was about. And she said, so tell me about yesterday. I said, oh, yesterday I got into a great big fight, you know. And she said, yes, I've heard. Tell me in your own words what happened. I said, all right, well, I said, you know, this girl, she didn't do her job properly. And uh, I just called her on it. And she, she, just, she just really lost the plot. She got really mad. She got really upset. She was saying a whole heap of stuff. And she said, and what did you do? And I said, well, I just, you know, uh, I just told her that she kept telling her that she didn't do her job properly. And she goes, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I heard. And the sad thing for this girl is that, you know, what she did wasn't a really big deal, but she made it one. And she made it one when she got really angry. And because she was so angry and so public about everything that she said, then she couldn't even run from it or hide from it. You know what's really sad? She hung herself with her own anger. And it seems so silly. And yet you could do the exact same thing. You could hang yourself with your own anger. And this is why Jesus says, you know what? He says, before you come and you give your gift, and you bring your gift into the, to the altar, he says, he says, leave it there. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come back. So you need to know that God is more interested in your heart than he is in your gift. He's more interested in the condition of your heart than what you could bring as an offering to him. And this is where the Pharisees got it so wrong because the Pharisees they were just about satisfying the law, but they forgot that all of this stuff was meant to be direction for their heart. So all they did is try to satisfy the minimum standard and requirements. And Jesus says, you're living so far below what I called you to live. You are living down here, but I've called you to be up here. You're not supposed to be like everyone else. I want you to be different. I want you to stand out. I want people to recognize the way that you do relationships. It should be different. And the reason why I say all of this to you, this is a this is a very, very important thing you need to hear tonight and understand. If you're coming into church and you're meeting the standards, you know, you come in and to everyone else, your hands are raised, you know, you got here to church, you're here every single week. And to everyone, you look like you got it together. You might even be fooling yourself. On the outside, you're meeting the standard. But if we were to be really serious, we know that God looks so far beyond what everyone else sees on the outside. He's actually interested in the condition of your heart. And if you're in here tonight and you are so angry with somebody and you are so mad, maybe even to the point of hating them, to the place of unforgiveness in your life, you just can't let it go. And and you've got that inside of your heart. I tell you something right now. You are in so much trouble. And you're totally oblivious to it. You have no idea. You come to church, you're just managing appearances. You look like you're okay, but you're not okay. You're not okay, not according to the standard that Jesus said. He said, you know what? I don't don't care what you try to present on the outside. I'm interested in your heart. You might look like you've got it together and you might might look like you're holy and you're you're worshiping and, and you're praising God, but God looks inside of your heart and sees that you hate your brother. He says, you are in so much trouble. Do you understand relationally what you're doing? 
to yourself and God in that moment. You may have, some of you might be thinking, I just can't remember the last time I, I heard God's voice. Maybe this could be why. Because in your heart, you've just got bitterness and, and hatred and anger. And here is the really big issue. Here is the, the, the big thing that maybe you're not seeing. You are not that holy. You are not that good yourself. And if we were to hold up the cosmic mirror of your, your sin and your shame and your guilt and show you all of the mistakes that you've done and everything that God has had to forgive you of, did you just forget about that when you held everyone else in contempt? Did you forget about what God had done in your own life? You would have to ignore all of the sin and all of your shame and every wrong thing that you've done. Do you even have an understanding of the price of your salvation? Do you know what it took for God to forgive you and put you into that place where you could have a relationship with Him? You would have to be the kind of person to ignore everything that you've done wrong in your life and think that you're pretty good to receive that kind of grace and not give it to anyone else in your life. To really hold your anger against someone. It's like, did you forget what God has done for you? How, how, how can that be? How can you forget how sinful you are and then what, you're going to walk out of this place and, and judge someone and, and be so angry with them? Do you know what it took for, to, to forgive you, for God to do it? See, you know what I think? I think the Christians should be the most forgiving people on planet Earth and not because we are morally superior or righteous. It's the opposite. No one is more acquainted with your sin than you. You should know all the things that God has had to forgive you of. And when you realize that and you recognize that, shouldn't you, as the recipient of the most outrageous grace that you've ever seen, should you not extend that to other people? How crazy would it be to hold on to all of your anger and not forgive other people? but receive it for yourself. It, to, to me, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. And I think a lot of people want to go for the surface and want to go for the minimum standard. They want to be like my kids, you know, that say sorry through gritted teeth and give a half-hearted hug and, and manage appearances and look like they're doing it on the, on the outside. But you, you should know something that God is calling you to be different. He doesn't want you to do that like everyone else. He wants you to be in a standard where you say, I, I'm just not going to, Stop there. I'm going to totally forgive this person. I'm going to get so far past my anger. I want to read one last story to you, and then we're going to close. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, let me just tell you the story for the sake of time. The Pharisees have invited Jesus to come to their house for dinner. And so Jesus is there, and while he's there, this woman enters the room. This is where we pick up the story. It says, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. She was a prostitute. She was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisees' house, 
She brought an alabaster flask, which is very expensive, of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with, her hair, with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And when the Pharisee who invited him, being Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, speaking of Jesus, he would have known what sort of woman this was. He would have known that she was a prostitute. He would have known that, he was, that she was a sinner. And if, if he had any idea... What kind of disgusting person was actually touching him? He, he, he wouldn't even allow it. And Jesus answering said to Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, oh, say it, teacher. And he tells a little story. It says a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed, one owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but she gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he was forgiven little, loves little. He's saying that the proportion with which you love people depends on how significant you see your forgiveness being. When you realize how much you've been forgiven of, it makes it so much easier for you to forgive other people because you finally see yourself and you see what God forgave you of. And if you, if you are a person that's been forgiven of much, and only you know that, then your capacity for love should be great. Why don't you stand to your feet tonight? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com, or download our app online and have a great week.